And it's a bit unfortunate and family are here today because they're going to have to grill me about some of the things I've been sharing. I've often wondered whether these life share things are actually therapy. <laughs> therapy for a way of counsel. So people start looking at themselves and looking at their faults perhaps and their strengths perhaps as well and being able to um, work through those things. So it is a, a therapeutic thing actually coming to a, a topic like this, what I've learned about listening. And I thought I might have even started by uh, paraphrasing from um, the verse in Revelation that says there was silence in Willow Burn for half an hour, well, instead of heaven for half an hour, because in many ways that is uh, the hardest thing about listening is actually to be in a place where there is silence or, or quietness, even if it's not physical, uh, in its manifestation it might be in your heart. If you have peace in your heart, communication can happen. And I just wanted to perhaps emphasise here that listening is is just one aspect of being able to communicate. We tend to think about communicating as how we express ourselves and how we are able to recognise um, our audience and, and, and speak into that situation you find your audience in, whether it's one person or a group of people. So that's the first point I want to, to, to lead you to, is that listening is a, an essential part of communication. The second thing I want to emphasise is that listening can be adversely affected by, if you want, for want of a better word, the attributes of the flesh. The fleshly nature can interfere with our ability to listen and listen effectively. And for the same reason, we need the Holy Spirit to be able to hear rightly. What we hear on the surface may not be what God is showing us in that situation. But having said that, a good listener is not somebody who just listens and does nothing. Listening requires, effective listening requires a response, a timely and God-led response. And so that is another aspect of listening that's so important. It does call upon the listener to respond in some way. But the final beautiful news is that God hears us and will equip us when we call upon him in that situation in which we are called to make a response. So those are the conclusions, if you like, that I want you to uh, come to as we go through this little uh, time this morning together. But I thought one of the helpful things is that to actually bring it down to earth and talk about some of the hindrances to listening. And there are many. I thought I'd start off with seven because that sounded like a good number. And before long, I was up to 12. And then there were 16. And I thought, <laughs> how can I cut it down from here? And there was more and more and more. And you may have other thoughts as we talk this morning about the hindrances that you've experienced to listening and some of these ones I've experienced myself and perhaps not always responded in, in a, uh, an appropriate way but let's go through some of them. Actually one of the most ones that I put in last was this first one and that's the sense in which um, we can be offline. We can't listen if we're offline and that's one of the uh, things that uh, I probably do more often than not is to, to go offline and to retreat to some area uh, away from the hub and bub of the household. Perhaps I'm always being reminded that why do you always go into that, what do you call it, um, cave? <laughs> so one of the things that we need to be conscious of is that there is a need for communication that requires us to be present with the one communicating. And if we're always in the habit of just quietly drifting away into a quiet corner or retreating into a hobby or into some other activity that takes us away from others, 
communication can't take place. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a time to retreat and we often need that as a strategy to, uh, to cope with circumstances that we otherwise can't cope with at the time. But if there is a habit of going offline, switching off, that is something that we need to, to deal with and that's something that I need to deal with from time to time. And by the way, some of these hindrances I'm talking about aren't necessarily in any uh, hierarchical order, but some of them may have more uh, importance to your individual circumstance. So the next one I'm going to talk about is the sense in which pride and self-importance and self-obsession can interfere with our listening. In other words, we are in an interaction with somebody or another, but all we're thinking about is what we're going to say next or ourselves. We're not open to what the other person is saying because we're so consumed with our own feelings, our own sense of being and our own ego, perhaps, in some circumstances. It's like saying to somebody, I know you don't matter. And, and sometimes I've found myself thinking about what am I going to say next before I've even heard the complete sentence that somebody, somebody's spoken uh, in that circumstance. And so that can be one of the real hindrances to good communication and good listening is to be thinking constantly about self. Another one that is addressed very well in scripture and it's, um, you might recall the scripture in, in James chapter 2 verses 2 to 4 which uh, talks about, and I've used the King James here and I, and I just uh, appeal for patience on this one. The scripture says, For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel and there, in, there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, I don't know what vile raiment looks like in today's setting, but you get the picture, somebody who doesn't look as attractive. And yet we have respect to him that wear of the gay clothing, not in the current parlance, we're using the <coughs> form of gay clothing being, you know, uh, very out, uh, swish sort of clothing. <laughs> and say unto him, sit thou here in a good place and say to the poor man, stand there over there and um, adhere my footstool. Are you not then being partial? Now, we don't do that in quite an obvious way very often, but there is a sense in which when a, particularly somebody who we don't know approaches us and maybe he's, he or she is covered in tattoos and got a, a lot of metal hanging off them and maybe their hair looks a bit unkempt, we're going to automatically, very often, take a different approach to somebody who looks more like ourselves. And we may not tell them to go away, but we may avoid them. We may filter the things that they're about to speak or they are speaking to you through that, partia that eye of partiality which says uh, because they look like this, they cannot bring anything uh, that makes sense to me. So I think that's something we also need to guard against. And I remember a little um, experience when I was probably only a teenager. I was uh, travelling by train from uh, Narromine in central western New South Wales to Newcastle. And when I got into the compartment on the night train in Dubbo, there was a, an Aboriginal man that had come from Burke that was, um, had go, uh, he was going to Newcastle also for a dental appointment. And it was an amazing experience to, to and I'd never encountered a, a full-blood Aboriginal man before, but spending the time and having that beautiful interaction which was free from that 
sense of partiality. I've also heard through my teenage and younger years to maybe be a little bit more cautious about people of a different coloured skin. But it was one of the most beautiful times. I wasn't a Christian at the time, but he responded so well uh, to somebody who was prepared to talk with him and also direct him, because he'd never been outside of Burke, I don't think, before, or maybe he'd gone to Dubbo, but he'd certainly never been to Newcastle and didn't know how he was going to get there once he arrived in Sydney. So there are those circumstances in which we can um, overcome that sense of partiality. I think there's a bit of an echo. Still here. Very good. Now another thing, and it stems from the same thing as the prejudice. I'm not talking about prejudice of the things that we see in our eyes, but perhaps in an interaction we have prejudice because we've had previous interactions with a person or group of persons and we kind of say, I know what you're going to say. The answer is no. Does anybody have children who come up and ask for something and you know already before they even arrive uh, the answer, which is no. But that's not the way to approach those interactions because um, they may be telling you something completely different. And, but as an adult, we find in our adult interactions that can also happen. We've had past maybe bad experiences with a person. Maybe somebody has told us about this person. I remember another experience when I was a young graduate and in my first job there was a fellow in Warren in New South Wales who people told me to stay away from me. He used to apparently get on benders and he'd be a vile sort of a character. And um, I decided, oh, well, when I meet John, that was his name, um, I'll just see what happens. And we got on like a, a house on fire, but all these people, all these voices had been telling me, oh, stay away from him, he's a bad piece of cake, don't... <laughs> Am I mixing metaphors there? But anyway, what I'm trying to get you to say is that you can be poisoned by... The, the opinions of others and sometimes it is very difficult because uh, the opinions of others you may well respect uh, but I think there's a certain sense in which we must come to the situation uncontaminated in an interaction like that. Easier said than done because there are some times we do need to be wary of, uh, of others. Now another one that really is quite difficult and, it, and, and that is the failure to perceive correctly. When we are listening Sometimes there are cues that we pick up on very, uh, very uh, sharply. And it might be just a, a, a word or a phrase that some, sometimes we focus on. It might only occupy a very small amount of what we're actually listening to. But it's something that is like a, a waypoint, a, a, a red flag, if you like. If you hear a phrase being uttered or a word being said, a particular word being used in a, in a particular way, that can lead us into mis communicating, misunderstanding the heart of the person that is uh, speaking at the time. So we can sometimes disproportionate or, uh, visual and auditory cues. In other words, if we can look at maybe somebody's frown and find out later, of course, they've had a stroke and perhaps they don't have a, any other way of communicating except with this frown on their face, but we are, uh, the visual cue is a frown and therefore we become uh, responsive to that. Or in other, somebody who, who um, raises their voice, it may turn out that they've got hearing problems and in order to communicate they feel they need to raise their voice and, but we perceive it in a completely different way. So there is a sense in which we need to be very sensitive uh, to the Holy Spirit in this circumstance. There may be visual cues and auditory cues that uh, 
we focus on and affect the way in which we receive what we're listening to. And now this is a, this is a hard one, this next one. And that's the sense of we can get mission fatigue. And, and it's the same in a, in a household with lots of children. You can sometimes just get to the point where you just can't listen anymore. It's, uh, but it can develop into disinterest and lovelessness. And so if we carry into a, an interaction a, a certain amount of disinterest and lovelessness, of course we're going to have difficulty in hearing. And I can certainly remember circumstances in which it's just too hard and you just switch off altogether, become indifferent to the circumstance of the person who is speaking with you. They might be in, in dire straits, but you're, it's just washing past you because you've become mission fatigued, if you like. Another one that's particularly important to us as we particularly in a, in a church setting, we can uh, often overlook is that there is often a spiritual dimension to the interactions we're having. And in listening to something, we can be focused on the surface, very much on the surface. How's it affecting me at the time? But very often there is a spiritual dimension to that. And um, one wonders how it would be if we are in Job's uh, situation where he's being tested and then he had these three friends that came on came along and initially they seemed to be quite sympathetic and then over time they became more and more insistent that he had actually uh, uh, been wrong. He had sinned against the Lord and this is the reason he found himself in that circumstances. So sometimes when we may feel as though we are under some kind of attack, it may be something that the, uh, Satan is using to uh, disrupt our uh, our relationship with God and with our other fellow Christians. So we really need to be often aware of the possibility that Satan is using a circumstance. And what we're hearing is not actually the, the words of a person, but he's using those words in such a way as to, uh, to get to us, if you like. And that brings us on to another area too, and that is to the circumstance in which we allow emotion, purely emotion to... Uh, dictate our response to, to somebody else. And I'm not suggesting that for any moment that we become emotionless and, uh, and dispassionate in the total way we respond. But there is a sense in which we can sometimes allow emotion to uh, mediate our response to a speaker and that can take us into a whole world of hurt, if you like. Um, we come back to the book of James again and look at the scripture. It says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger or slow to wrath. So sometimes in those circumstances where we feel emotion rising up in us, it may be a time to, to count to three or even uh, perhaps in a practical sense, uh, ask for time out so that you can approach this in a, in a way in which emotion doesn't become the dominant force in our response to, a, to somebody. Now distraction is probably one of the worst things that I've found in the past in, in, in listening. And I'm talking about not just listening to another person but listening to God. We are so fond of finding other things that can occupy that sound space if you like or that eye space that we find ourselves in. And so I find myself driving along on the road and switching between the radio stations when I get sick of some, hearing somebody's voice I'll turn to the next one or an ad comes on and I'll switch to another one 
And so you can go through a whole day and you can be never quiet enough to hear from God or hear from anybody for that matter because you're so preoccupied with just listening to this background noise. And so that is such an interference with, with good listening. Uh, we can be distracted by activity to the point where... Um, and this, this has a, a bad side to it as well. I'll just give a little illustration in a minute. One time uh, I was talking to a farmer who was filling up an anhydrous tank. Now, if anybody knows what anhydrous ammonia is, it's, it's pretty nasty stuff if it gets going. And so he was trying to fill this tank and I was trying to talk with him and uh, uh, he was being distracted. Um, and eventually this anhydrous ammonia just went everywhere and, and it was all a panic stations because it's quite toxic. So there are circumstances where distraction can be very destructive but distraction can also prevent us from hearing uh, the heart of somebody who's trying to communicate with us. And so sometimes the best thing you can do is actually stop everything, put everything down and give your undivided attention, isn't it? So, and I'm, I'm talking from my point of view, I'm, it's, I'm very guilty of that, to, to be trying to do something else. Yeah, I'm trying to finish this or I'm trying to finish that. And if somebody's in that desperate state, and the world's falling around about them and all you can do is to say, well, just let me finish. Um, that moment can pass and before, not, before long there's a missed opportunity to hear, to really hear. Now, there is another thing and this, this comes about when, um, particularly when you have um, teenage people in the house and there is a desire sometimes to remain in ignorance. We don't really want to know always the ins and outs of everything that's happened and it is an irresponsible attitude I'd have to say and I'd have to say that, that there are some times we just I don't want to know, don't tell me, see no evil, hear no evil, do no evil, do you know that? So that can be a very a great hindrance because there are some times where people do need to come to you and, and uh, talk about things that maybe you find extremely uncomfortable and may require you to respond in some way that you don't feel equipped to do. So I think that sometimes we, we need to get to a point where we say, Lord, help me in this. I don't really want to deal with this situation. I don't want to ask. I don't want to know what the circumstance... It might require that I do something that I can't do or I can't handle. That's something where you need the wisdom of God. But we need to get past that stage of that. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. There's another area too and I think that comes down to that sense of self-protection sometimes and that's the defensiveness and sometimes if that's your natural pose or posture in, a, in, a, in, a, in an interaction with another that can lead to a, a very combative type of um, interaction and listening just goes out the window. It becomes uh, what do I need to, to say to kind of protect myself in that circumstance and I think it's helpful sometimes to see that it, when, when that's starting to rise up is to again come to the Lord and say Lord I can see I'm just dealing with self and wanting to protect myself in this, in this interaction help me to overcome that sense in which I want to just protect self-protection. Another one uh, that's a little bit along those lines is the use of unhelpful, unhelpful body language. Now, sometimes that's a cultural thing and there are people who in different cultures are quite used to being very close together. But if you were to bowl up to me and stand one foot in front of me to, to talk, I would find that extremely, 
off-putting. And I think most people in a Western setting are probably more like that. But there are circumstances in which we unknowingly exhibit uh, body language that can really interfere with people being able to listen. And I'm glad to see, I can only see about two people with their arms folded. Now, that's a comfortable way to think, but very often if we use this posture uh, of arm folding, and I find myself doing it all the time when I'm in a hurry and want to, to move on with what I'm doing and somebody's trying to talk with me, I've got my arms folding, folded. That can sometimes in, very much inhibit that <coughs> communication because the person may or may not perceive that we're not open to, to communication today. We don't want to hear. We don't want to, um, uh, to interact at that time. And we can be so un unaware of those circumstances, we can do other things too. We can uh, put a, a frown on our face. I mentioned that before. Sometimes that's unavoidable. That's our natural <laughs> demeanour. But there are other things that we can do that really make it hard for somebody who's trying to communicate with us to actually get through because they're, seeing, they're picking up all these visual cues uh, that prevent them from actually being free to, free to speak. Another one, and we don't always appreciate this one, is that there are sometimes uh, surroundings or settings in which uh, listening is very difficult. And obviously uh, listening in, a, in a, an area where there's a lot of noise is very difficult. But sometimes it may be in a setting where one or other of the parties there that are intimidated by uh, the, the presence or the setting. And I remember, of course, and hope not too many of you do remember when you were sent up to the principal's office, how intimidating that could be. And that wasn't a good place to be uh, where you want to, to communicate freely. It was uh, an intimidating setting. And same with um, maybe t dealing with your children. If you take them into a setting in which they're feeling very uncomfortable, in which they associate with unpleasantness, they're going to be far less likely to want to, 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 to speak than they would be in a more relaxing setting. Sometimes when we've had to resolve issues, the best thing we can do is to go to an, a neutral setting, a um, neutral ground, so that one or other doesn't feel uh, intimidated by just the, present, the physical surroundings in which they find themselves in. Now, for people like me, fatigue and hunger can be really great inhibitors of listening. And I think Barbara well knows that the last time, if she wants me to buy into an idea, the last thing she will do is to do it at the end of a day when I haven't had anything to eat. And I think she was very wise in maybe picking, uh, making sure I'm well fed and well rested before uh, coming up with a proposition, especially when it's to do with spending great amounts of money or something like that. But I think that's something we need to recognise that when we are uh, speaking, maybe the best thing we can do is actually to have a rest first and get something to eat because low blood sugar is there's nothing worse and fatigue can really uh, activate some very negative responses and interfere with the way in which we uh, are able to listen in those circumstances. So it's just, just a physical thing in that... But the very last thing I want to emphasise here, the very last inhibitor of, uh, of listening is the aspect of not seeking God. And it's so easy because we're so taught to be so self-sufficient and, and in some circumstances there is no time we need to make a spot call in a particular circumstance. But there's hardly ever a time that we can't call on God and saying, 
how, how do you see the circumstance? Show me what you see in this. Help me to perceive the way that you perceive in this interaction that we might be having. And then further on than that, how, how should I respond, Lord? How would you respond in the circumstance? We can do this in a microsecond, but sometimes we, because it's a microsecond, we think it doesn't matter or we're just too busy looking for the next thing that we can do or think about. So let me urge you, as I urge myself, in every interaction that's beyond just a high-by sort of an interaction, that we ask the Lord to help us to hear rightly, to speak rightly and to respond likely, rightly. And that really does emphasise, I think, the need to consider listening as not a, a passive activity. It's an active, it's an active process. It's something that we need to do uh, and bring about other things, such as seeking clarification. When somebody says something, perhaps we can need to say... Um, did you mean, or could you explain more? And that acknowledgement and reflecting back that which we hear is a very important part of encouraging interaction. Um, and that's something that can be very encouraging. Or alternatively, if we take a blank, uh, a blank paper approach, just by not responding at all can really inhibit further in um, discussion. The other thing, as part of a body, we need often to seek counsel of others. If you put a dozen people in a room and you look at an object or a problem, there's quite likely to be a dozen different ways of looking at something. And I think it's so important that we recognise our own deficiencies in hearing rightly and maybe talk with another and say, what do you see in those circumstances? And then, of course, as I mentioned before, seeking God. Show me what you see, Lord, in that circumstance and help me to make a right judgment. And Lord, grant me the courage, if there needs to be a correction to be made, to bring that in a loving way, in a way that is uh, edifying. And then finally, there's a sense in which when we've heard everything, there may be a call to action and not just that just everything fade away and just forget all about it there is a point in which we need to respond and that's probably my biggest challenge is quite good at synthesising information, collecting information, coming to a decision but never actually doing anything about it. There is a call to action at times. So I just want to conclude now and uh, talk about uh, five brief points that help us to summarise what I've been sharing this morning. Listening is a corporate thing as well as an individual thing. As a body of Christ, we have different giftings and different uh, personalities. We have all sorts of attributes that God can use together to help us to listen collectively. Listening can be stifled by not providing a forum for free and open communication. I know this is particularly true when we're trying to extract information from young people. Um, uh, if you go in into a room with your teenage son, he's not here today, or one, and it's almost as if he's been read the rights before and he doesn't want to say anything at all. But given another opportunity, you're doing something else and come alongside, there's often a beautiful opportunity for communication to happen. 
So if we provide that free and open forum for communication, that will happen and we can be listening one to another. Listening can be thwarted by coming to conclusion before we even hear, hear the other person speak. And we see that in governments all the time where they perhaps uh, have a, a, um, a consultation period and it's just a charade because they've already worked out what they're going to do before they start. We can do that personally as well. We can enter into a, into a transaction with somebody else we've already made up our mind and nothing they can say will change our minds. That's a bad place to be. And listening can be prevented by not recognising the collective value of individuals and hearing rightly. I think that's so important <coughs> in this day when we hear so many different voices. And I just want to read from 1 Corinthians 12, which emphasises that. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant, for one is given the spirit, the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same spirit. And so it goes on. It talks about us being all different parts of the body and all having something to contribute. So in all things we need to acknowledge our deficiencies in hearing rightly and to seek him. Sometimes we have very little time to do that but we need to seek him in order to make a right response. So how do we conclude? Well, effective listening is one, just one aspect of good communication. We can be a great listener but a poor communicator. We can be a great speaker but a poor communicator because we're not listening. Listening can be adversely affected by the attributes of the flesh, our desire to protect ourselves and think about ourselves first rather than the other person. We need the Holy Spirit to hear rightly and we need to recognise the time to act under the hand of God. Listening often requires us to respond in some way. But the good news is God hears and knows us and will equip us if we call on him. Father God, we thank you for the way in which you deal each, with each one of us. That you deal with us not as a mass, but as individuals precious to yourself. And Father, as we come to the table of the Lord, we recognise that there's something very individual about our salvation. It, it's something that you have desired from the beginning of creation and we even see it in the way that we set out the cups, individual cups for each one. It is something that's very special and precious. So Father, as we come to you now to share the bread, to break bread and to share the, the juice together, may we be reminded of that which you've done for us, that which we could not do for ourselves, but you have done it in such an abundant way in allowing your son to die and for him to be raised again and be seated at the right hand of your throne. Father God, thank you that even now that we have a God that hears, a God that listens, that hears our hearts. Oh Lord, may we listen in the way that you have listened to us. Thank you, Jesus.